Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our Greenbrier campus. Thanks for listening. So today we are talking about the idea of greatness and pursuing greatness and aspiring to greatness. Um, You know, greatness is something that we talk a lot about as a society, as a culture, isn't it? Like we have a whole debate over who is the goat, right? You know what I'm talking about when I say the goat? If you don't, you've probably lived under a rock for a while, but the goat means the greatest of all time. And it's it's a conversation that usually revolves around who is the greatest basketball player of all time, right? Is it Jordan or is it LeBron? And so I thought we could walk through a few of these this morning and just take a poll and see um, how we're doing. So the first one, <laughs> the first one is, is Jordan or LeBron? Who is, who is the greatest in this? And so uh, for this first one, um, completely unbiased poll, right? Completely unbiased, but I wanna see where you stand, all right? And so uh, for this first one, we may need to wake up a little bit. So I'm gonna have you stand for whichever one you you would side with. So if you would say that Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all time, just go ahead and stand up, if that's you. If you're physically able, okay. Okay, that's good. I see JD's in the back, he's standing, he's a basketball coach. So his, his vote counts for like 10. All right, go ahead and have a seat. Um, LeBron, anybody? <laughs> that's what I thought, okay, a few of you. Young guys, young guys say that. Um, Makes sense. He, LeBron's been playing as long as you've been alive, I think. But Jordan, six rings, six finals MVPs. I mean, jo- Jordan is, is the GOAT for sure. All right, let's do another one. Um, Peyton Manning or Tom Brady. Um, clearly, I'm a Peyton Manning guy. I love the Broncos, and Peyton Manning's one of my favorite players of all time. So for this one, if you would just raise your hand. If you think, uh, if you think Tom Brady is the greatest of all time, would you just raise your hand? Uh, that hurts my heart to see that. <laughs> Peyton Manning, you don't watch football, you don't care, right? Okay, that's, that's some of you. Let's do another one. Um, what's that next slide? Okay, this one, this one should be easy, right? Valonia Eagles or the Greenbrier Panthers. Are there any brave Valonia Eagles? Okay, there's one, okay. Everybody else, Greenbrier Panthers, greatest of all time? Okay. I thought you might say that. What's the next one? McDonald's or Brahms? All right. Now, if you aren't aware of the greatness that is Brahms, it's coming to Conway, Arkansas, all right? And it's going to be fantastic. It's from my homeland of Oklahoma. I love Brahms. Great ice cream, great burgers and all that. So clearly, uh, Brahms is the greatest of all time. I'll I'll just settle that one for us. Uh, What's the next one? Taylor or Travis? <laughs> so Taylor or Travis, um, it, it's been crazy over the last couple of months to see how much he's boosted her little career uh, over, <laughs> over the last few months. Um, I didn't do a poll at first service. My daughter got on to me, so I'll just go ahead and see if you would say Taylor is the greatest. Okay, okay. I would raise my hand for that too. I'm a Broncos fan, not a Chiefs fan. Uh, Travis, Kelsey, anybody? Yeah, we don't care about that one for sure. Anyway, okay, so that's the greatest of all time, right? That sets the stage for what we're talking about today. We are, as a society, obsessed with greatness. 
we follow greatness, we talk about greatness. I mean, uh, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey has been the biggest news in pop culture, at least for like the last, last month in our country, just because we're following that all of the time. And it's because we all want to be great. We all want to follow greatness. We aspire to greatness. We want to live a life that, that matters. And the thing is, and what we'll see this morning in our text is, so did Jesus's followers. They had the same goal. They wanted to be great. So before we read the text, I'd love for us to pray and set our minds in the direction that we're heading. And so I'll pray for all this. You just pray for yourself that God would speak to you in this time. Let's, let's pray together. God, we want to pause and ask that you would do what only you can do, and that is speak to our hearts, change us, mold us more into the likeness of Jesus. We certainly don't want to hear anything that I have to say this morning, so we're asking that you would speak loudly and that we would have ears and hearts that are open to you. Would you speak? Would you help us to listen? It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. All right, Mark chapter 10 is where we're going to be. We're going to start in verse 35, but if you were to just back up a few verses, Jesus has just told his disciples for the third time, there's three famous times in, in the book of Mark where he explicitly tells his followers that he's going to Jerusalem and he's going to be killed, okay? He, he clearly says it. We talked about one of those two weeks ago. Uh, today is the third one, and uh, he, he says he's going to Jerusalem, he's going to be killed, but he's going to rise from the dead. And all three times, whenever he tells his disciples this, they just don't understand. They don't get it. They, don't, they have no context for what it means to rise from the dead or anything like that, so they don't, they don't understand. And that's what we see here as well with two of his followers in particular, James and John. All right? So um, start in verse 35 with me. Mark chapter 10, verse 35. It says, James and John the sons of Zebedee, approached him, that's Jesus, and said, teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask you. What do you want me to do for you, he asked them. They answered him, allow us to sit at your right and at your left in your glory. And Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup I drink or to be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We are able, they told him. And Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and you will be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit at my right or left is not mine to give. Instead, it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Verse 41, when the 10 disciples heard this, they began to be indignant with James and John. So Jesus called them over and said to them, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So that's our text this morning. And, and what we see here is we kind of see two, two pursuits of greatness. One is very wrong and one is very right. So that's what I want us to talk about. The first one is the wrong way to pursue greatness. And what we see in verses 35 through 40, we see, we see a selfish ambition for greatness. These two guys, James and John, um, they are the two best friends of Jesus. 
Jesus kind of had an inner circle. It was James and John and a guy named Peter. Um, they, were, they, were the, they were Jesus's closest. There's just the things that happen in their journey where, where Jesus seems to kind of pull them aside and do some special stuff with them. One just happened in chapter nine, wherever he takes Peter, James, and John up onto a mountain for what's called the transfiguration. It's a whole thing that happens, but the point is, Jesus just seems to really gravitate towards Peter, James, and John. So they're two of his best friends. And, and I don't know if you know or maybe have a best friend that, that has given you some kind of nickname or you've given your best friend a nickname, but Jesus did that as well. He gave his two best friends, James and John, maybe the coolest nickname of all time. He called them the Sons of Thunder, which is so cool, isn't it? Mark chapter three, verse 17, he calls them the, the Sons of Thunder. So they were boys, they were close, they were best friends, right? And James and John come to Jesus and they have a request. And their request is essentially this. They, they start by saying, we want you to do whatever we ask. Now, rule of thumb, you don't ever answer that request, do you? <laughs> like if your kid comes to you and says, hey, I just, I want this and, and I want you to say yes, whatever it is, right? You're not gonna answer that. Or if they say, hey, I've got something I've gotta tell you, but you gotta promise you're not gonna get mad. That's kind of, that's kind of what this, this is as well. They say, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. And then they say, allow us to sit at your right and at your left in glory. It's an interesting request. Um, I'll talk about it just in a second. But essentially what they're asking is they're, they're wanting, uh, they're seeking greatness. That's what this whole thing centers around is, is them seeking greatness. In fact, Jesus explicitly says that in verse 43. He says, whoever wants to become great, right? So, so that's, that's the topic at hand. Whoever wants to become Great, and what I want you to just see as, as we jump into this, Jesus doesn't have a problem with seeking greatness. He doesn't have a problem with wanting to be great. And so what I would say is there's, there's nothing wrong with having healthy ambition, with being a driven person, with, with wanting to, to excel and climb to the top of your company and all those kind of things. The problem here is how they were seeking greatness. And that's what Jesus has an issue with. He doesn't have a problem with, with greatness. In fact, he's gonna say, this is how you really become great in just a moment. So the problem here is they were seeking greatness in the wrong way. And they were seeking greatness with, with what I've called selfish ambition. So I mean, just look at their request. It's the most selfish prayer ever, <laughs> isn't it? Like it's so selfish. They say, we wanna sit at your right and at your left. What you need to understand about that is in, the, in Bible times and in the times of kings and all of that, this, this idea of sitting at your right and at your left would be the right and left hand of the throne, right? The most powerful seat in the room. So the right and the left would be the second most powerful seat in the room. We see that in scripture, 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 19, Psalm 110, verse, verse 1, that talks about the seats right next to the throne being seats of prominence. Right? And so that's what they were asking. Hey, I want a seat of power. I want the best seat in the house. I want a seat of prominence. I want a seat of, of glory. And if you remember two weeks ago, I talked about who the Jews thought the Messiah was going to be. Remember that? That, that they thought that the Messiah, the promised one that God had been talking about, was going to come and he was going to, to overthrow the oppression that they were facing. He was going to overthrow Rome. He was going to come in and just, you know, just start to kick some tail and, and take over. That's what the Messiah was gonna do in their minds. 
And, and so in their minds, they, they thought Jesus was going to Jerusalem to, to overthrow Rome, to establish Israel's dominance again and, and kind of make a name for them. And they wanted to be on the stage. Like they wanted to be right there with them. They wanted to be seen. They wanted to be somebody. That's essentially what's happening here. And in their request, we see they don't really understand who Jesus is. They don't understand what it means to follow him. And they are very self-centered. They have a high view of self, right? And in this story, we even see it's not just James and John. Like, it's not just these two. The other 10 were mad as well. Look at verse 41. When the 10 disciples heard this, they began to be indignant with James and John. That word indignant means like super mad. So, so they hear James and John going and asking to, to be made great or to have a seat of power on the stage next to Jesus. And the other 10 go, what about us? So apparently there was this whole conversation that was taking place with the disciples of who was the greatest. And they were arguing about it. Uh, they wanted to be known as, as the, not just in the 12, that's not good enough. I wanna be number one, you know? We see that, look, turn, turn the page backwards one to chapter nine, verse 33. Mark chapter nine, verse 33. I want you to see, see this. It says, they came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the way? And verse 34 says, but they were silent because on the way they had been arguing with one another about who was the greatest. <laughs> so this is a thing. The disciples have been kind of at each other arguing about who is actually the greatest in the group, right? And here's what I think. I think if, if the 12 closest people to Jesus, the ones who walked with him every single day, if they wrestled with this idea of selfish ambition, we probably do too, don't we? I think we do because we're, we're selfish people. And this passage, if I could really just kind of boil it down into one sentence, I would say that this passage is an indictment against self-centered Jesus followers. People who follow Jesus and make it all about themselves. All about, you know, I'm following Jesus, but really it's all about what he brings to my, my life. Look at, I mean, James and John's prayer again was, give us what we want and make us great. And if we could be very honest with ourselves, is there a chance that your prayer sounds like that too? Jesus, just give me everything that I want and make my life easy and happy and all of those kind of things. Like we love whenever Jesus says that whatever you ask, if you ask for it in my name, I'll give it to you. And we hold on to that one, don't we? Like we love that promise of Jesus. And so we'll end up praying all these prayers that make Jesus essentially like some kind of genie that can just meet all of our needs, give us the things that we want. We treat Jesus like he just exists to be, to, to be the thing that brings happiness and a pain-free existence into our life. And what I would say is if that's the way that you are praying or that's your mindset towards Jesus, that's a prayer that he's probably not gonna answer in the way that you would like him to, right? And so I think we should just wrestle with this idea a little bit, just every single one of us. Ask yourself, am I a self-centered Jesus follower? Like if you could just kind of step back and really evaluate your life and your relationship with the Lord, is it selfish? Am I a selfish Jesus follower? Am I more concerned about me than actually following him? That's what we see James and John and the other 10 doing. And Jesus essentially says, you don't understand what you're asking for. 
You don't understand. And what he does next is he goes on to give them this powerful lesson on what it actually looks like to be great in God's kingdom. That's what I want to see next. So, so we've seen the, the selfish ambition that they had for greatness, and now, second, we see the selfish action or the selfless action that leads to greatness. So it's not about selfish ambition, it's actually about selfless action that leads to greatness. That's what Jesus is teaching in verses 41 through 45. He says in verse 43, he says, whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant. If you wanna be great, be a servant. That doesn't make sense, does it? Like, that's kind of backwards thinking. Because by our earthly standards and our culture, it tells us that self-promotion is right. Go get what's yours, right? But by heavenly standards, that idea cannot be more wrong. This is what you would call a paradigm shift. It's, it's changing the way, it's flipping your ideas and your way of thinking on its head. That's what Jesus is doing, doing here. He's saying if you wanna be great, you've actually gotta become the least. If you, if you wanna be first, you've gotta be last. That becoming great in Jesus' kingdom means becoming a servant. That word servant in verse, verse 43 is very interesting. It's the Greek word diakonos. And that is the word where it's later translated in 1 Timothy and other places as deacon, diakonos. And, and so diakonos means, it, it does mean deacon, it means servant, it means minister. It was most commonly used though in this day to talk about people who were waiting tables, a table waiter, right? So for a couple years in, in college, I was a server at a place called Red Lobster. And uh, that was good, right? There were certainly some perks of working at Red Lobster, all the Cheddar Bay biscuits I wanted, all the popcorn shrimp, you know. And I was a good waiter too, I was very good. I was a trainer even, you know. And, and uh, it, was, it was, I did it for like two years in college. And if you, did you, did you rate, uh, wait tables, anybody? Raise your hand if you waited tables, you've been a server, you've worked in that industry. Okay, so I would wake up a couple years later with nightmares that I had just been triple set with all big tops on a Saturday night, right? And so if you've waited tables, you know exactly, exactly what that means. But waiting tables is it's a tough job, it's a thankless job, it's messy. Uh, people treat you horribly, especially the Sunday afternoon crowd. And uh, it's just a, it's a job, man, it's, it's, it's tough. It's messy, it's gross, it's often thankless to serve people. And that's kind of the idea that Jesus is painting. If you wanna be great, you've gotta wait tables. You gotta serve people, you gotta be a table waiter. In fact, whenever the first deacons are called in Acts chapter six and, and just the idea of we need to establish some deacons in the church, they were literally called, Acts chapter six verse two, to wait the tables. And I would say it's not just a call for deacons, it's a call for every single Christian. Every single Christian is called to this true path of greatness that Jesus is laying out to serve others or to wait tables. And so if, if the idea of serving others or, or waiting tables is below you, then I would say that you're not qualified to be a pastor or a minister or a deacon or even a Christian because that's the calling. That's the calling. Serve tables, wait tables, serve people, right? So if you wanna be great, you wanna do something great for God, Jesus is saying you gotta become a table waiter. You gotta become a servant. And I just wanna ask, like, what would happen 
if, if we were to adopt that mentality, that server type of mentality, that I'm gonna put others first, I'm gonna wait on them, it's messy, it's thinkless, but I'm gonna put others ahead of myself. What if you adopted that mentality in your home, at your work, in your school, in our church? Like, what would that do? How would that change the dynamic of your home if you saw your family as those you were serving? How would that change your, your, your job or, or our church? Like, what would happen if we saw ourselves as servants? Listen, that's the calling. No matter your age, Jesus is saying, be great by serving. And I've said this before, but, but ground zero for doing this is right here in our church. Like, we give you plenty of opportunities to serve in and through your church. And I'll just say this, if you're not able to do it here, there's not a shot you're going to do it out there, right? And so if, if you call yourself a Christian, you've been attending here for a while, you're able-bodied, and you're just not serving in some kind of capacity, I would say that you might be selfish. You might be making this whole thing about, about you. If you would rather let somebody else sign up, you'd just rather wait that's selfish. The calling of every Christian is to serve others. And we have those opportunities here. And the truth is this, we can't function if you don't. What ends up happening is if only a few people jump in to serve in different ways, those people get worn thin and they burn out. And this whole thing starts to crumble in some kind of way. But if we all listen to this passage and just in our church family jump in and find ways to serve together, then it all works better. Like you understand, right, that your salvation is not just about you. Like your salvation is not just about making you a better person. It's bigger than that. Like when Jesus saves you, sure, like there's, there's, he saves you personally and he transforms you, but, but this is never intended to be a solo game. You are called, and you, when you trust Jesus, you're, you're saved by him. Man, you're saved into something. You're saved into a family, a church, the bride of Christ. So this whole thing is, is bigger, and, and you're called to fully invest and serve others in your church family and beyond, beyond these walls. The truth is this, that your commitment to Christ will be seen in how you serve others. That's what Jesus is saying here. If you want to be great, if you want to truly be my follower, you've got to serve others. And the cool thing about Jesus is he doesn't just teach it, he models it. Verse 45 is considered the thesis verse of the book of Mark. It's a huge one. And what we see is Christ is the great servant. Like there's a clear contrast between the selfishness of James and John and the selflessness of Jesus in verse, verse 45. Look at it with me. Verse 45 says, for even the son of man, that's Jesus, that's again his favorite title for himself, used over 80 times in the gospels. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is essentially saying this, and this may sound odd, it may even sound shocking to you, but Jesus is essentially saying, I want to serve you. And that's good news for you. You need Jesus to serve you. 
You need that. See, every other religion says that, that you've got to somehow climb up to God. Like, you've got to be good enough. You've got to pull up your bootstraps. You've got to, you've got to figure it out, and you've got to be good enough to get there. But, but the good news of Christianity, the good news of Jesus and the Bible that, that we preach and proclaim is that Jesus comes and he says, I came to pursue you. I came to serve you. I came to help you. And how does he do that? How does he, how does he serve us? How does he help us? He tells us plainly, he says, I came to, to serve by giving my life as a ransom for many. That word ransom is a word that, that is used to talk about the, the price that is paid to release a slave. To grant a slave freedom, there was a price that had to be paid, right? And, and, and how's he going to do this? What is Jesus talking about? Well, he tells us clearly in verses 32 through 34 that he was on his way to Jerusalem. They were going to put him on a sham trial. They were going to falsely accuse him, sentence him to death, mock him, spit on him, crucify him. But, he says, but three days later, I'm gonna rise again. And, and that's the good news, that his life paid the ransom price to free you from your slavery to sin. See, Scripture says that we are born slaves to sin. John chapter 8, verse 34 says, and, and there is a price that has to be paid for that ransom. Romans 6, 23, for the wages or the payment of sin is death. Death is, is the thing that had to be paid. That's why Jesus co comes and he gives his, his life, but that verse continues on and says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, the crazy truth of the Bible is that Jesus gives his own life to pay your ransom payment. He gives his own life to pay the price, to set you free. We are slaves to sin that are saved by the grace of God through faith in him alone. And that, that is a, a one-time moment-in-the-sand decision that every single person needs to make. Scripture talks about this new life, this conversion moment that is like a, a birth. And just as you were really born into this life, there's a moment that you need to have where you trust Jesus as your Savior, where you declare, he is the Lord of my life. I'm trusting him to pay that ransom price that my sin has racked up. I'm a slave to sin and I'm trusting him. This idea that you just grow up Christian or you've always been Christian or something, that doesn't exist in the Bible. You need to know that. And so if you've never had that moment where you've truly placed your faith in Jesus, man, today's your day. Today's the day of your salvation. Trust him, cry out to him, declare your sin, repent of it, turn to Jesus. And when you do that, transformation starts to take place in your heart. Transformation starts to take place in your, in your life. And we even see that in James and John. See, after Jesus' death and his resurrection, things changed for James and John. They were, they were selfish. They wanted that seat of power next to Jesus on the stage. But after Jesus' death and his resurrection, man, it all starts to make sense. They take this teaching to heart. James... He's the very first of the disciples to be killed for his faith. Acts chapter 12, verses one and two. King Herod killed him with a sword. John, 
He's the last of the disciples to die. He's exiled, banished to the island of Patmos where he writes the book of Revelation for us. But both of them begin to understand this idea of serving others selflessly. And it would take Jesus' greatest service, his greatest sacrifice, his death, to free them from their selfishness, just as it takes the same for us. This idea of serving others is countercultural. You can't do it on your own. You can't just do it by your own power. But through the transformation of Jesus in your life, then you can start to actually live this out. As Southern Baptists, one of the goats, one of the greatest of all time, Southern Baptists, is a lady named Lottie Moon. And um, Lottie Moon, is, she's famous now, but she wasn't whenever she, she lived. She grew up in the 1800s in Virginia, and uh, she, she lived in a wealthy home, and she actually went to college. She actually got her master's degree, which I feel like is pretty rare for a woman in the 1800s, right? So she had a lot of things going for her, wealthy, educated, all of those different things. But at 32, um, she, she began to feel that God was calling her to more. And, and so she, um, at 32 years of age, she actually declined a marriage proposal from her boyfriend. Um, she decided to abandon just a comfy, wealthy lifestyle and move alone to China. She stayed in China for 39 years until she died there. And uh, as she was there, she was just living out this passage. She was living out Mark 10, 43, serving others. She would bake cookies, she would invite people into her home, and she would tell them about Jesus. And she, would, she started writing letters back to the states, to, to the Foreign Mission Board, which would become the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention, the greatest mission-sending organization the world has ever seen, I like to say. But she kind of started it all. She sent letters going, hey, churches, you need to sacrificially give. You need to be sending missionaries, you need to be praying for missionaries, you need to be uh, sending funds for missionaries. And, and so she actually, through that, now we have what's called the Lottie Moon Christmas offering every year because of her. It's named after her. She never would have guessed that, right? That's, that's, that's who she was. She once wrote to the Foreign Mission Board and she said this, she said, please tell the new missionaries that they are coming to a life of hardship, responsibility, and constant self-denial. Like she understood this concept. She understood completely. And the question is, what would cause someone to do that? What would cause somebody to turn down a marriage proposal, move across the world, to die in anonymity serving Chinese people? It, I promise you it wasn't because she was chasing greatness. It wasn't because she had some kind of selfish ambition. She never understood that her name would be on little envelopes around Christmas time in Southern Baptist churches. That's, what not, that's not what motivated her, right? What motivated her is she understood the call of Jesus. She understood everything that we're talking about this morning. In fact, she, she says this. It'll be on the screen for you. She said, why should we not do something that will prove that we are really followers of him who, though he was rich, 
For our sake, he became poor. What's she saying? She's saying in in Jesus' death, in his sacrifice, we see the ultimate picture of true selfless sacrifice. That he was brought low so that we could be lifted up. That he gave it all. He gave his, his life. And now he calls us, those who trust him as Savior, his followers, he calls us to follow him and do the same. You want to live a life that matters? You want to live a life of true greatness? Then put your faith in Jesus and selflessly serve others. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.